Our Bible reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 4 and it's verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have heard the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we, who have believed, enter that rest, just as God has said, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God has again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will will perish by following their example of disobedience. Thanks, Roger. When you first meet someone new, generally what's the first uh, question that people ask? What's the first question? What do you do for work, right? Which tells us something of the general belief in our culture that we're defined by our work, paid or unpaid. We draw our identity from our work and from our productivity, what we can do, uh, that we are what we do. And our world happily reinforces this idea, even from a very early age. Uh, In the kids' TV show, Thomas the Tank Engine, the narrator often says of Thomas that he's a very useful engine and his value and his worth in large part is evaluated on how useful he is, which is what most people believe or live like they believe anyway, that we are what we do. And not to work is to threaten our sense of identity. It's to think less of ourselves. And so to outrun any of this kind of thinking, we just double down on working more And if we think of rest, even if we think it's necessary, we might think it's only what the rich and the privileged people get to do, that it's an indulgence, something that we can't afford to do, and that we don't want to do anyway because godliness is next to busyness, right? And whoever has enough time to rest? Uh, And so to avoid any nasty self-talk or worrying about not having enough time, we just work more uh, and end up becoming addicted to it, slaves, you might say, desperate to work when we can't or aren't, such that work... Maybe excites us more than anything else, or we take work to bed or, and on the weekends and on holidays, or we talk about it more than anything else, or we're secretly proud of working 50 hours a week, uh, so we can easily and maybe happily answer the question, well, what do you do for work? But what if that's the wrong question? What if the right question is, what do you do for rest? How would you answer that? 
Because that's where we're going today, as we look at Christ being at the centre of rest. Uh, First, we'll see by seeing that work is for rest with God. But second, sin makes us restless. Uh, Third, Jesus restores our rest uh, so that finally we might live to rest in God. So that's where we're going. Firstly, work is for rest. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we touched on work and uh, looking at how Christ can be at the centre of work and how being made in the image of God, given that he is a worker, that then we are workers too, and that a big part of what it means to be human, what dignifies us as human, is to work, uh, whether that's paid as employees or bosses or unpaid as volunteers or citizens or students or parents or grandparents. But as important as it is, working is not the whole story, and it's certainly not the end to the story. We see this right back at the beginning. Uh, The high point of God's work is not the work itself, but rest from his work. So we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The happy ending of the creation story is God resting from his work on the seventh day. And this rest day, it's it's special for a number of reasons. Uh, Because firstly, it says something about God. It says that he's confident enough to rest. Uh, He's serene and and at peace. He is happily not what he makes, not what he creates. He's happily the creator. And the seventh day of rest shows us this. It also shows us that the goal of work is Time without work, which is what rest is. Rest is time without work, but with the creator. And this, this is the end point of God's work, to stop and rest and to delight, which we see as the sixth and final day of his work wraps up. God comes into the seventh day admiring his work. So we read in Genesis chapter one, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. At the end of all his work, God likes what he sees and he enjoys what he's made. So as God comes to the seventh day, uh, calling it holy and special, we get a hint of the goal of work, rest and delight. And so as we're created in God's image, it makes sense that we'd rest from our work too and delight in God's creation with him. Uh, We see this idea carried on later in the Bible when God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments and tells them, uh, remember the the, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male servant, male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Israelites, they were to remember the seventh day, which was the Saturday, the Sabbath, and make it special by not working on that day. And in this, uh, like with God and his work, it seems the goal of their work then was to, to rest and enjoy God's provision with him. 
It's no accident we're called human beings, not human doings. And to rest is to acknowledge this, this reality, particularly as we do it with God. To rest with God, then, is to strike at the heart of what it means to be human and hints at what rest is for, that it's not firstly to help us to do more work, but that it's to enjoy God and the good things in his creation that he's given us. But this rest is disrupted very early on, which brings us to the second point. Sin makes us restless. And it all started with Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit God told them not to, and they suffer God's punishment as his delight turns to anger, and as their work is cursed to get a whole lot harder. And as that happened, a restlessness kind of sets in, a restlessness that everyone after them will feel, starting with their murderous son, Cain. We're told God curses him uh, with frustrating and unending work, and he has no sense of being able to settle down and enjoy God's creation. He's cursed to be a restless wanderer, we're told, afraid of God and afraid of others, a restlessness that we all experience to some degree or another because of sin. A restlessness that can work itself out, actually, in busyness. So we don't have to think too deeply about our time in eternity. A restlessness that means we fret, we never have enough time. And so we work harder and harder, thinking that the, the time to relax, it's just over that next hill, that, that next job. We'll just do that next thing. We'll just get that next holiday, that next milestone, the next stage in life, thinking, well, when we get there, then we'll rest. But the restlessness lingers. There was an interesting article recently uh, written by the psychologist Adam Grant. He reckons with the impacts of the worldwide pandemic that the prevailing emotion of 2021 is languishing, you know, that, that joyless and aimless blah feeling. Uh, that comes along with a, with a lack of progress. Which we've been sold is the measure of life, to progress to bigger and better things. But as long as progress in work is the goal of life, then languishing is here to stay, with the restlessness with restlessness ever on the horizon as just a, a more frenetic, frenetic version of languishing. Because restlessness at its core is an inability to... Rest and delight in creation with God. And that's all down to sin. Sin, bending us in on ourselves and turning what we do as defining who we are, which, if unaddressed, will grind us down in this life and ultimately into a tiresome and languishing eternity, hidden from God in fear of everyone and everything. But God doesn't want people to be restless and enslaved in their sin. He wants people to be at rest with him, which brings us to the third point, rest restored. And so to that end, God makes promises to the man Abraham. He promises to bless the world through him and his descendants, the Israelites, to ultimately bless uh, people the world over with rest from the curse of sin. A rest that is anticipated as God saves the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and then calls them to observe the Sabbath, as Moses tells them in another place. Observe the Sabbath day, he says, by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, 
and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God set up the Sabbath day for the Israelites so that they'd remember him, not just as creator, but as their saviour. Uh, the one who saved them from slavery in Egypt, saved them to be at rest with him in the promised land. Uh, as such, this Sabbath law was to be a sign, a sign to the Israelites, a sign of God, the creator of all, being with them and for them as he saved them to be at rest with them. The Sabbath then was a day to rest and delight not only in God and his creation, but also in his salvation. Uh, the Sabbath law then uh, was a bit was like the two sides of a coin. A gift to the Israelites uh, to remember and enjoy God as creator and as saviour. Except, of course, the exodus from Egypt was just a shadow of God's true salvation. A a salvation not just for the Israelites but for all people so that they might enter into his rest. And that salvation is by believing in Jesus. As we read earlier, uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, still remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them, uh, that is the Israelites way back when, did not go in to the promised land because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest when he led them into the promised land, God wouldn't have spoken later about another day. Uh, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Entering into true rest, Sabbath rest, starts with hearing the good news about Jesus, of him saving us from the restless and tiresome life of trying to do things our own way because we're not sure what God thinks and we're afraid of what others might do to us or take from us or have that we don't have. Uh, And so we busy our lives doing what we think is good, hoping the good is enough but never sure. To find rest from this is to hear with a soft heart, not a hard heart, to hear with a heart that accepts Jesus, that believes he suffered on that cross to free us from such a restless life so that we might know rest, rest from worrying if God loves us. He does, no matter what we've done or haven't done. Rest from worrying what others think of us or can do to us or have that we don't, because we, with God, we've got God and we've got time, everlasting time, to enjoy all the good things that he's given us and will give us in the new heavens and the new earth. Rest from trying to be good enough, because Jesus is good enough for us in our place. Rest from worrying over death and that we're running out of time because Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare an eternal place for us, beyond the grave. This is the rest that God offers in Jesus to any who believe in him. Please, if you're weary and weighed down by life, tirelessly working hard but not sure why or for what purpose, restlessly busying yourself so that you don't have to think about who you are or eternity or God, please, please listen to Jesus today as he says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and so he's still saying this to you today. Please believe him and enter into God's eternal and loving rest. Because it's only in Jesus that we can find rest, real rest, true rest, not only in eternity, but here and now, which brings us to the final point, living now to rest in Jesus, which is going to look like a few things. Firstly, it'll be stopping work, paid or unpaid, uh, a day every week. We need to take seriously the pattern from the beginning of the Bible right through of six days work and one day's rest and to see that this is not a law to grind us down and make us feel guilty for another thing that we're just not doing right but to see it for what it is, it's a gift. When Jesus was criticised for working on the Sabbath and encouraging his disciples to do what looked like work on the Sabbath he said this, he said the Sabbath was made for people not people for the Sabbath. According to Jesus, the commanded day of rest was to be a gift for people, not a burden. He wasn't legalistic about it like the religious leaders at the time. The Sabbath law was there to serve people, not the other way around. Serve them to help them cut with the grain of the universe by working six days and resting one. That's that's the way God operated. That's the, the pattern he stitched into the fabric of the universe. So it's of course he wants people to, to observe it because he knows that that's the best thing for them. When I first started driving a, a manual car, I'd frequently be grinding the gears, stalling it at the lights, bunny hopping on hill starts. If my driving was music, it would have been a cacophony. But now, with a few years under my belt, uh, if my driving was music... I'd pretty much say it's euphonic. Yeah, I hear the laughter. But at least that's what everyone who travels with me is thinking. Nobody's actually said it. Uh, but how could they not with the, uh, the smooth rhythm of my gear changing now and the neat lane uh, leaning in and out of corners and the, the seamless overtaking of buses on the inside lane? Uh, not really, but, but you, look, you get the idea. There's a rhythm to smooth driving, right? That makes the driving experience better and better the more that you get into the rhythm of it. Well, in the same way, there's a rhythm to life. Six days work and one day rest. That makes it a better experience the more that we get into it. The less we pay attention to that rhythm, the more we'll grind the gears of this life and bunny hop our way into the next. Now, as we've seen for the Israelites before Jesus, the day of rest was to be the Sabbath, the Saturday. But with the resurrection of Jesus very early on for Christians, that day shifted to be a Sunday. And Sunday is a good day to rest, particularly because that's the day in the week that we all meet together as God's people to enjoy God being with us. Which brings us to the next thing about our day of rest. That it's to be a time when we savour God with us, savour him in worship and savour him in play. Uh, Firstly, in worship. Key to the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament was uh, that the day was to be holy to the Lord. Our day of rest, it wasn't to take time off from God, it was actually to draw closer to him by contemplating our salvation, his salvation in Jesus. Which makes Sunday a great day for this, as we do church together precisely for this reason. 
It's a time when, unlike our working days, when we might feel frustrated by the limited time that we have to study the Bible and pray and think and meditate, the day of rest uh, is precisely for that, a time when we can lavishly spend time reading the Bible and praying, a time when we can be unapologetically uh, unapologetic in delving into deeper study and thinking and meditation and contemplation on God's word and his, uh, maybe a good Christian book or two, uh, a day we can sing to the Lord and about him, perhaps the only day that we think to do that and do do it. It's also a day that we can focus on showing mercy to those in need. Uh, after all, Jesus did this on the Sabbath as he healed people, so we should see our day of rest as a day to show mercy too, particularly to those in our church family who are poor or in need. Indeed, as we love them in this way, Jesus says we love him, and in so doing, we're worshipping God. It's also the day that he invites us to see the hidden ways of God's goodness at work in our lives. It's focusing on those aspects of God's love in Jesus, in his word, in in the many gifts that come from his hand, from people to food to art to babies to music to sport, so that we might overflow with thankfulness. So in all these ways, the day of rest is to have a, a stance of worship, of entering the day looking to praise and thank and worship God in any and every part of it, of savouring God with us. But it's also a day to savour God in his creation. A good way to do this is in play. It's interesting in the book of Nehemiah, we see the Israelites gathering around the Bible, celebrating a holy day, just like they would a Sabbath day for many of the same reasons, and we read this. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to your Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This holy day was solemn as God convicts the Israelites of their sin, but it seems to be part of the holiness of this day wasn't to mourn, but instead to enjoy God's strength in their weakness, to enjoy his love and his forgiveness and his provisions, and to do so by enjoying the good things that he'd given, food and drink and each other. As some have observed, it was to play. This day holy to the Lord was for play, which seems to lock onto something true of God himself, that he plays. Indeed, in Proverbs we're told, wisdom personified was with God in the, in the beginning when he created the world and he says this, then I was constantly at his side, at the father's side, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. It would seem it's God's pleasure to create, the creation then is God's play, so it makes sense then that those made in God's image, mercifully loved by him, would on a day holy to him want to be like him and enjoy his goodness and creation in play. So on the day of rest, let's play. Let's enjoy God's creation and each other in play. It may be that we're not very good at playing, but there's nothing that says we think life is more than work than when we play. Because unlike work, play accomplishes no practical purpose. 
And if done with God in mind, it celebrates his sovereignty and his goodness to us. I watched a film the other day uh, called In Time. The idea is that everyone is genetically engineered to stop ageing on their 25th birthday, where a one-year countdown on their forearm begins. Uh, When it reaches zero, the person times out and dies instantly. As such, time has become the universal currency, transferred directly between uh, people or in time capsules. Uh, The rich, then, are those with centuries of time, literally up their sleeves. And while the poor are rushing around frantically trying to stay alive, the rich are having parties and playing games and having fun because they've got time. And the simple fact is, in Jesus, we've got the promised rest of eternity with God. We're rich with time. We're the time rich, which means here and now, it's to trust God and enjoy his sovereignty as we delight in God's creation and learn to play in our rest, our day of rest, whenever that day might be. So, by seeing that right from the beginning, with God, work is for rest, and while sin disrupts that rest, Jesus restores that rest for us so that we might live to truly rest in him. By not working one day each week and savouring God with us in worship and in play so that maybe the next time someone asks us, so what do you do? We might think instead to tell them how we rest in God. And I'm going to pray to that end. Gracious Heavenly Father, please... Grant us a fresh appreciation of the rest that you have established for us in Christ. Thank you that we know your salvation in Jesus and you have saved us from the worry of being right with you, of knowing you and being with you for all eternity. Grant us in the light of the rest that we have in Christ, the wisdom to take rest in this life so that we might savour that salvation and savour the goodness of your creation. And we pray these these things in Jesus' name. Amen.